Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, Johnny, have you had enough rain yet? Yeah, and cold. Yeah, it's, it has been one wet, cold winter. It's been a long winter. It really has. For this southern boy. But, you know, cold is a relative term. I mean, you know, 50s. True. I heard, north this, I heard this morning nice. on Bloomberg, it's like negative three in Fargo. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's cold. So that's cold. My, so my daughter's, what, are we, what are we complaining about My daughter's here? in Orlando, and she now thinks the CSRA is a cold weather climate. And it's certainly colder than Orlando, but it's not yeah, cold. True. No, it's but, not cold. But, it, you know, I think the wet is what has made it feel so cold because mm-hmm. it has been so wet this winter. Yeah, it has. And it seems like every weekend. But weather's supposed to improve. Hey, next week we're looking at what? I mean, 70s. 70s. I think, yeah. Or at least high 60s. That'll I think be nice. we're going to be 60s. That'll, yeah, that'll be warm. nice. Boy, it's it's time. Boy, we've had a long <laughs> winter here with COVID winter and everything oh, else. And I'm no gl- it's glad to see the infections are going down, way down. Yes, they are. That yeah. is good news, too. So, you know, lots of good news here. And that's good that we're we're previewing with that because yeah, we go down we, the, we're going downhill here really quick because yeah, we're going to pivot and start talking about taxes. We have the 10 IRS audit flags. And yes, it is tax season, John. I hate to hate to bring that up, but uh, it is, and so everybody's kind of fair, you know, uh, fearful of the IRS and overstepping their bounds and getting audited. So we're going to tell you how to avoid that. We got the ten flags to avoid and what to look for, and and hopefully you can steer clear of that. Yeah, and then we're going to talk about uh, tipping and kind of what's um, what are some good recommendations, and obviously that's a very personal choice. And we're going to talk about obviously going out to eat, um, kind of what's. Not expected, but like a minimum level because, you know, the servers don't make very much and they really count on tips to uh, everything from uh, valet parking to, uh, you know, a, an Uber or a Lyft. So right. you know, we've got probably 15 or 20 different recommendations on this. And I've, always, I've struggled a little bit with this as I've gone, you know, as I've grown up. I try to tip yeah. you know, well, but some it's like when you go pick up. Yeah, to go order. I mean, right. you know, they just brought it to your car. Didn't, didn't really do anything. Not that, yeah, but you know, there's. We'll talk about that. Yeah, yeah, we will. <laughs> we will. We will. I like talking about tipping because it reminds me of vacations. Ah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. So, there you go. By the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro with over 25 years' experience in providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I'm a Dave Ramsey Certified Counselor. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 28 years. We're excited to have you listening to, to us today on our weekly show. Our podcast up every Friday afternoon. Yeah, check out our website, moneymd.net. We have a link to the podcast. Also, some really other good tools out there. We know some of you have been downloading those, so go check out the uh, the financial resources on the website. Also have a Facebook page um, that we post a, a prescription of the week every week, so go check that out. Yeah, lots of resources out on the website there, and uh, you can also link to us and send us your questions. We'd love to hear from you, um, and we'll talk about those questions right here on the show. Well, John, we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week, and um, you know, since it is tax season, we have a little tax tip for you here. Um, to be careful of because it's a little bit different this year with with COVID and the CARES Act last year. Um, they've they've made a few special provisions, and one of those is if you qualify for the earned income tax credit or the child tax credit for last year, 
there's a one-time rule that allows you to pick which year you're going to base the income on. You can, instead of basing it on 2020, you could actually base it on 2019 mm. because um, unemployment income doesn't qualify. Yeah, if you did have unemployment in 2020, then that's going to, you know, kick you out. Kick you P- out potentially. Get, yep. Yeah, if you didn't have enough earned income. So you can look back and pick 2019. So be careful how you file that because, you know, TurboTax, if you do it yourself, it may just automatically not give you the credit that you're that mm. you're due for. So pay attention to that and make sure you get all the credits that you're due, especially this, uh, you know, the earned income tax credit or child tax credit for last year. That's your fact of the week. And speaking of taxes, it leads us right into our first topic here. Such <laughs> the, a positive topic. Such a positive topic. Yeah, the 10 <clears throat> IRS audit flags. Well, you know, this is a pothole you don't want to step into, John. <laughs> By the way, this is based on an article from Money Wise, um, <clears throat> Ethan Rothberg, Rothberg, very recently here. But, John, yeah, it's that dreaded time of the year again when you need to consider doing your taxes, unfortunately. Um, and it's interesting, though, how many people, though, really fear the IRS so much, um, even though, you know, they never really see an, a real audit. Um, very few people really get, uh, you know, a, a significant audit. Um, a lot of people get the little notices the IRS, you know, sends out, you know, that you've missed some information or something like that that you need to answer to. But that's not really an audit. I mean, we're talking about the sit down, mm-hmm. you know, the full blown audit. And um, <clears throat> but you definitely don't want to get on the wrong side of the IRS. Yeah, my wife has been dealing with an issue for her mom now for months and I could tell you, it has taken dozens of hours. She'll get on the phone for them like two or three hours, John, trying to get on hold. Wow. And then when you get a person, it still takes forever. Um, and she never can get anything get anything resolved. And they didn't do anything wrong is the mm. bad thing. They just don't have her information for like one of the tax years. Mm. And um, so they keep sending her this notice that she owes money and she keeps paying money and they don't apply it to the right year. It never gets to the right place. Um, anyway, I mean, it just gets so involved and it never gets resolved. And it's simply because the IRS is just this huge bureaucracy. No one seems to have the authority to fix anything that's wrong in their system. So you don't want to get on the wrong side of that. The good news is you can usually steer clear of that by just dotting your I's, crossing your T's, making sure you, you get everything done right the first time through. <clears throat> um, however, though, there are some things that kind of increase your, your likelihood of an audit simply because of your situation. Um, typically, the uh, IRS says that they will audit less than about 1% of all tax returns, but even a half percent still is one out of every 200 taxpayers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you you you, you got to still, you know, pay attention to it. Um, and, you know, being chosen for an audit is is more like a game of chance, though, oftentimes. I mean, you're less likely to get the attention, though, of the IRS if you watch out for some of the common red flags when you're filing your, your returns this season. Um, so there are 12 things that we're going to point out that you need to look out for. I will point out that the first six here, they're really based on your situation. They yeah. really can't be avoided. Yeah, and we see this, Steve. We work with a lot of business owners, and the first one is, you know, you run a business and you and you make a lot of money. So that might seem unfair, but the stats don't lie. The more money you make, the more likely an audit's going to be coming your way. So you, like you said, just got to cross the, the T and dot, dot your I's as you're going through this. So if And if running a business wasn't already difficult enough in the, in the pandemic— you also have to get worried about it being audited as well. And, and so despite some common misperceptions about the IRS examination rates, 
The reality is that the likelihood of an audit significantly increases as your income grows and running a business as a self-employed person, um, you know, income shows up on Schedule C also increases your chance, uh, ch- uh, chances of audit. So the tax agency knows from experience that business deductions can occasionally go overboard. So if you're in that group, take care when you're filing your taxes. Make sure you have documentation. You're following the, the letter of the law. Uh, most people with businesses are doing uh, have a CPA that they're working right. with, right? So that's right. a good good person on your team as well. So um, just just uh, be you know just follow the law. Yeah, I mean, the higher your income, the more complicated it is with a business. You certainly want to get some help there to make sure you do everything right because you you do certainly attract more attention with the IRS. Um, it's just kind of a <clears throat> natural law of numbers, uh, the way they work. Another thing, though, that attracts their attention is high itemized deductions. You know, so when you're filing your tax return, you have two choices, right? You can either itemize your deductions or you can enlist them out one by one, or you can simply take the standard deduction. And nowadays, the standard deduction is pretty high. For mm-hmm. a joint couple, the standard deduction is $25,100 this year. So unless your itemized deductions get over that, you're going to just take the standard deduction. And and that's good because that does um, kind of eliminate this being a red flag for the IRS. Um, however, though, um, if you take if you do itemize your deductions, um, if you have enough charitable contributions and other things that push you over that threshold, then you, you certainly want to pay attention and make sure you do it correctly because it does get their attention. Um, and so super high itemized deductions will open the eyes of, of, of catch some eyes in the tax agency, at least in their programs, you know, that they run for picking audits. And so you want to make sure you just have all your documentation on hand, make sure you do it properly, make sure that you're not, you know, taking deductions loosely that you don't have good documentation for. So that's one. Another one, though, John, is large charitable donations. Um, You know, and there are plenty of causes that certainly need your help this year. And, you know, it doesn't hurt that you can write off, you know, those good deeds, those charitable contributions as well. But, you know, if your charitable contributions are astonishingly high compared to your income, that's a red flag for the IRS because the agency knows, you know, what the average charitable donation is for each income level on average. So if your adjusted gross income, for instance, is $75,000, the average yearly charitable donation is a bit more than $3,000 for that category. And a lot of people do, you know, tie to their church and Mm -hmm. stuff. So, you know, they they know that it goes up to maybe 10%. But if you're much over 10%, you can probably bet that, you know, that's going to get their attention. And then they, at some point, start asking for, um, you know, uh, some verification of that. So, and as part of this year's, you know, new tax changes, the agency actually makes it easier for you to to break, to get a tax break for your donations because they give you a little tiny $300 write-off for cash contributions, even if you take the standard deductions. So you want to make sure you get take advantage of that this year. Yeah, the fourth item on the list that uh, can, can raise a red flag is if you deal in cryptocurrencies. So if you're buying and selling Bitcoin and other digital currencies, uh, the IRS want, wants to know. Back in 2019, the agency began sending thousands of letters uh, to cryptocurrency holders, and they were warning them that they may have broken federal tax laws. And so the tax rules treat Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies as property for tax purposes, and uh, they've published a set of FAQs to help you uh, file properly. So I know a lot of people are doing crypto out there. So Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, that's just one more complication of one more reason to stay 
away from cryptocurrencies, Crypto. yeah. quite frankly. And I just had that question this morning from a client about buying some cryptocurrency. So, you know, if you do it, you might want to do it inside of an IRA so that every transaction is not a taxable event. Um, but something to pay attention to, yep. for sure. Another one, though, is cash transactions. Um, you know, and, and people are aware of this, but the, the tax man, they do come knocking, you know, simply because you, you, you work in a certain industry and it might be a cash type business um, like restaurants, lawn care, laundromats that are more likely to be audited because of how difficult it is to verify the income they received in cash. So you want to try to document your business transactions as much as you can, um, particularly if they come in cash. You know, if the IRS, um, you know, if they do come calling about that, they'll want to confirm that your lifestyle is supported, supports your desired income. Yeah, I, I get my hair cut at a barbershop occasionally. Okay. And I was talking to the guy, it's probably been six months ago, and I'm like, yeah, how's the business going, you know? And, the, you know, have you seen increase, decrease? I was just asking him a whole bunch of questions. I was just interested in how yeah, he was doing. He's right. like, are you from the IRS? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I said, no, man, I'm not from the IRS. So, yeah, it's but, you know, funny. It's a cash business. Well, there's know? a lot of businesses. There are cash yeah. businesses, and you know, it's real common they don't report all their income. Yep. And so, uh, the IRS is onto that. You mm -hmm. know, I mean, I don't know how they check that, but I don't either. You know, I mean, that's something that's obviously they're going to crack down on, and you know, at some point. So, uh, so you want to try to document that. But uh, also, if any business that receives more than $10,000 in a cash in a single transaction, they have to send a form to the IRS. So if you're making it rain at pawn shops, you know, car dealerships, casinos, yeah, be prepared for some added scrutiny is kind of the bottom line there. So, so those are kind of the five items that you can't really control there. Here's five more, though, um, that are errors that also invite attention from the IRS. Um, that can be avoided if you're careful. Yeah, the first one is incorrectly reporting the health premium tax credit. So, you know, if you can't get affordable health coverage through your employer and you're not eligible for Medicare, Medicaid, or you know, another type of federal insurance, you can get a handy tax credit if you buy insurance through the marketplace, um, uh, healthcare.gov. So you can choose to have that credit paid in advance to the insurance company. That'll lower your monthly payments. And then you just complete the necessary paperwork when you file for your, your, your taxes. But if you forget to report the subsidy or you claim it even though you're you know, above the income threshold, you may get the IRS's attention. That'll, that'll flag. And uh, it might help to shop around and compare some rates from health insurance companies. But if you can get that uh, subsidy, it's, it's a good deal. It's it's a good yeah. way to buy health insurance. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. It's a real good deal. <clears throat> so um, another one though um, that you can avoid is failing to report a foreign bank account. Um, probably better yet, not having a foreign bank account. If you have a foreign bank account, that might get their attention. But if you fail to report it, you know, eventually yeah. they're probably going to find out about it because. You know, there is some reporting that comes from foreign bank accounts, typically, I think, to the IRS. And so, yeah, if you're an American taxpayer, if you're stashing some of your money outside the U.S., you know, they're eventually going to find out um, most likely. And so you're better off reporting the money before the IRS comes looking for it. Um, failure to report a foreign bank account can lead to severe penalties. So just make sure that you report, uh, you file a report of foreign bank and financial transaction report if BAR by the day deadline, um, you know, for that every year. So um, next one, though, is 100% of a business use vehicle. Um, so if you're business owners, you know, you can have a car or something that's listed in the business and you can depreciate that every year. 
Um, but you actually have to file a uh, uh, you have to give your accountant a, a vehicle log, mm-hmm. you know, for how many miles that you use for business and how many miles you use for for personal use. But if you don't do that and you start claiming 100 percent of your business use is your vehicle use is for business. That's obviously a red flag because most people, you know, do use their car some for personal use. And that's not that's not deductible. You don't get that part of the depreciation. So, um, you know, so you just got to be careful. Um, You know, if you want to save some extra cash on your car, legitimately check to make sure that you're, you know, not paying too much for insurance. You know, Um, uh, you know, you can run your insurance through the business, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But you can't run all the all the depreciation through the business. Um, you just want to make sure that you're you're careful about that. Another error that they see a lot of is claiming the home office deduction. And gosh, you know, Steve, a lot of people work from home in 2020 due to the pandemic, and yeah. they think they may be able to uh, to claim some deduction for the home office products that they bought last year, or just you know, st- strictly working from home. And um, so that's not going to be the case. Prior to 2018, some employees could write off home expenses. If they went for itemized deductions, now the benefit is only available to self-employed people or independent contractors who use the space in their home exclusively for business. So even if you are eligible for this write-off, you need to calculate what percentage of your home was actually used for business, and the IRS will flag your return if that number looks suspicious to them so they they have a lot of data points out there so it's going to it's going to trigger if it's not reasonable yeah yeah and that is something that gets their attention um probably less so this year just because there'll be so many people yeah taking some kind of that's true <laughs> home office deduction yeah you know there's some anonymity in, in big numbers right so all right and then that last one here though is taking an early payout from a retirement account um you know, all that money that you're paying into your traditional 401k or IRA, technically you don't need to wait until you retire before you can start drawing it, right? But if you decide to make some early withdrawals before age 59 and a half, you know, there there are some big tax complication uh, implications. One of them is, of course, you'll pay a 10% penalty on top of your regular income tax unless you qualify for one of the exemptions, such as using your IRA to buy your first-time home. You know, you could do up to $10,000 with that and avoid that 10% penalty. Um, But the IRS is on the lookout for taxpayers who don't actually qualify for those exemptions. Apparently, there's a lot of fraud going on there. Um, So just creating a strategy in your retirement account isn't always simple. You know, you want to consider talking to somebody, making sure you you, um, exhaust all your options before you start drawing money out of your 401k or IRA early. Um, you don't want to pay that penalty, and you want to make sure if you take that that exemption that it's proper because the IRS is going to look at that, and that is a flag for them. So there you go. There are the tips for how to avoid an audit, being a, an audit red herring to the IRS. <laughs> All right, and that leads up here to our question of the week. Yeah, this is a question from a client. Uh, should I buy back years in my pension plan? And uh, most of the time we see this in – Teacher, teachers, pension, mm-hmm. teacher pension plans, and you basically you have to run the numbers and you have to see what the cost of it is, and then you have to look at what benefit you're going to gain from that. And I'll tell you the TRS system, and I've done that. We've done this in the South Carolina right. as well. It's a pretty good deal to buy back. Usually, um, it's a very good deal. And in this one case, she, uh, she's going to have to put like eleven thousand dollars in, and her annual benefit's going to increase by like three grand. Yeah, I mean, it's a no-brainer. Yeah, you know, it is. You don't it have is. to run a calculation on that one, but mm-hmm. so you have to run the numbers. Though, if it's going to cost you fifty grand and it's only going to go up by twenty-five hundred, well, you know, you start looking at 
Is right. that going to be a good trade-off? Um, and for, for many times, the teacher systems, it is a good trade-off. Yeah, yeah, you just want to run the numbers, and, and the average person probably can't do that very well. So I'd suggest you get some help because you really need to calculate a present value right. of that future increase in your pension uh, out to your life expectancy. You know, so if you're, you know, 60 years old and you, you know, you, you're you're female, you're probably going to live the average life expectancy like 85. So 25 years, you do a present value for that increase in your pension back 25 years to today. Compare that to the lump sum. Use a reasonable discount rate or interest rate. And so, you know, that takes a little bit of math. So, um, it does. Yeah, probably want to call somebody. Probably. You know, <laughs> your CPA or somebody. Cool. Make sure that's a good deal before yeah. you do it. But for teachers, it normally is a good deal. Yeah, but that's a, that's a really good good question of the week. All right, and that leads up here to our last topic, and that is um, how to tip in all situations, John. Yeah, this is a good good discussion. It comes from the Ramsey organization, and, um, you know, questions of should you tip the barista or the you know how much should you tip a waiter? How about the hairstylist? valet you know the list mm-hmm. goes on and on and um you know the person who has to go back and grab me the right shoe size hmm i've never really thought about tipping a uh, hmm. shoe person Have shoe you? person yeah. shoe size you're talking about the store like yeah a, i guess a, yeah okay yeah i got gotcha. so, yeah i don't know i mean so we're just going to go through and kind of kind of rip at some of these and and uh, i don't know we have 15 or 20 of them here so uh server i think most people you know 15 percent is kind of a minimum um, but you know, if you get good service, twenty percent is kind of uh, kind of a rule of thumb. And right. if that sounds a little steep, uh, remember most servers make around two bucks an hour. So yeah, they make very, very small. So they're definitely <clears throat> you know. counting on those tips to make uh, ends meet. And so con- consider the tip part of the overall experience of dining out. Right, you're not having to prepare right. and then clean dishes and so forth. So, you know, 20% is a good target. Yeah. And I think the key to feeling good about all these, you know, if you're on a tight budget is to factor the tip into the price, right? Mm-hmm. On your planning, have the tip already factored in. When you take a vacation in your vacation budget, have all the tips factored in so you can feel good about, you know, giving that tip because, you know, it shouldn't be a painful experience. It just needs to be something that's factored in and you want to be as generous as possible and you know, of course, the more to make, the more you, more you can be generous. Sure. But uh, still, you know, the, these folks deserve to be paid for sure. Yep. And um, <clears throat> so, all right, well, that's good. So another one would be, how about at a buffet restaurant, John? Hmm. Well, they say a good rule of thumb is, is at least 10%. Um, now, I guess you're tipping the person that cleans up the table. Yeah. I guess is what you're doing. Right. I mean, like if you go to Hampton Inn, there's someone that's working and cleaning right. up the... So you're yeah, leaving the it on the table, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. But anyway, so, but also it says, you know, if you feel, feel free, if you get stellar service, you know, the tip more. Um, again, you know, these servers make very little per hour, you know. And so, I mean, if everybody tipped just an extra buck or two, that would make a huge difference, <clears throat> you know, for that type of business for those servers. So, yeah, I think that's that's a good one, you know, to consider. Another one is, you know, should you tip for takeout? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, whether somebody brings it, food out to you or whether you get it right there at the store they say tip around 10 percent um, when you're picking up you know and carrying out from a restaurant i, I guess it kind of depends on whether they bring it to you or not and how you pay for it but yeah i mean in general food service just doesn't pay a whole lot so yeah. you know just think of your kid you know working at you know at a at a restaurant yeah and you know they every every extra dollar makes a big deal to them so That'd be really nice to give them 10% or yeah. so. We typically do that. Yeah, yeah. We, we do 10. That's kind of what we've targeted. So how about in-home delivery pizzas? 
Um, you know, it d- depends. I mean, it depends on how many you're buying, but somewhere in the range of two to four dollars is fine. If you're getting, you know, 10 pizzas delivered to a pizza party, maybe you do a little bit more than that. So, uh, how about the barista? You don't drink coffee, right? You don't go by. Hey, you know what? I've I don't, don't even I don't even know what that means. That's John, somebody but. that makes you coffee. So you go through Starbucks. They have a barista there. I so, hate to sound unsophisticated, yeah. but yeah, I mean. So they have a little jar out out front. Okay, right as a suggestion. And okay, so, well, if there's a jar, I'll usually put a couple bucks in yeah. there. But uh, you know, if I you, gotcha. If you a buy a five dollar coffee. Then putting a buck in there is twenty percent. You know, I just good. don't usually go buy. Co- well, I do buy coffee at Starbucks actually if I'm traveling. You know, I mean, otherwise vacation, vacation. Yeah, that's, that's right. What I, that's right. That's vacation. what I, I buy everything on vacation. That's what yeah. I figured. How about uh, valet? They say you know between two and five bucks. Um, you know, if you're going to do valet, yeah. some places don't even give you an option. <laughs> you have yeah, to do valet. I, but... I hate valet because then you don't have access to your car, and yeah. you know, there's all that. Well, it's but, but dropping yeah. it off. Pick, I mean, if you want to go out during the day, it's another, you know. It's and just, then do it, you give it to them whenever they pick up the car or when they return the car? Yeah, I don't know. I always give it to them when they return the car. Do you? I, I never give it to them when they take the car because it's just kind of awkward. They're just taking the keys. It's real fast. They haven't done anything for you yet. Yeah. So when they bring the car back, but then I think, well, it's a different guy, you know? Yeah, right. I mean, yeah. so that they tip share, I hope they do because... I'm only tipping the guy that goes and runs and gets the car and brings it to me. Any place that you vacation, they're going to be like, oh, here's that guy again. But I don't use Valley if I can avoid it. Okay, I'm with you. you. I just really don't like it because then I can't go get my golf clubs on too. (laughs) All right, so so how much do you tip for hotel housekeeping? That's a good one. You know, I think a lot of people don't tip at all for housekeeping Mm. hotel. Um, But this is one that came to my attention like 10 years ago, and I was like, oh, we really should be doing that. Because, yeah, a lot of people, they don't even realize that, you know, they, but you think about the person that's cleaning those rooms. I mean, how little they make, you right. know. So, but yeah, I mean, they say around $5 a night is a good, good tip at a swanky place, a couple dollars a night at, at a lower end place. Um, but, you know, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a big deal. So we usually do five, before we go on vacation, I'll, we'll stop by and get like a, cash, yeah. a bunch of fives, yep. a yep. bunch of fives. And we just like leave a five every night for the, yeah. and you know, quite frankly, you know, with all the crime and stuff at hotels, I mean, I think it might help your chances of them looking out for you. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. No, so, I like that, man. Yeah. yeah. Five, five bucks is a good, I think a good, that's what we do typically. So cab drivers, they say tip between 10 and 15% yeah. if it was a safe trip. Yeah. Uh, Uber and Lyft drivers, um, you know, the, the companies say that you're under no obligation to tip, but I don't know when I've done that, I've, I always tip. I, I try to give them a couple of bucks depending on how far it is. Um, the hairstylist, I don't, I guess I do tip my barber a little bit, but they say 15 to 20% is a good number. Yeah. Um, because yeah. you know, you're trusting these people with your hair. I mean, you want to look good, right? Yeah. I always tip you, a good, yeah. A little chunk there. Because they'll get you the next time if you don't tip, right? Right. They can really you, mess you up, man. definitely. <laughs> and you won't even know it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Until you get home. That's right. No, uh, no. Ma- uh, manicurist, uh, 15 to 20%. You know, I, I don't have any experience in that. I don't know if you do. No, can't say for that <laughs> one, but I have no doubt that my wife, yeah, gets yeah. it. Does that well? She doesn't do much of that type of stuff, but yeah. um, yeah. I mean, a grocery store bagger, yeah, definitely. You know, a couple dollars um would be good. You know, but it just kind of depends on how much service they do for you. They say um, uh, grocery delivery. They say ten percent um or a couple of dollars is a good rule of thumb for that. Yeah, and flower delivery, a couple bucks. Um, <clears throat> uh, contractor, 
Uh, yeah, they say not to. They say I mean, I've never. They say generally no. I mean, you're hiring somebody to do a job and yeah. do the job, so it's not like above and beyond service. But I guess there's always that exception. Yeah, babysitter. Uh, obviously, I think. I mean, we've always tipped our babysitters historically, so not an absolute must from what they say. But I guess it depends on what their hourly rate is. Right. And at weddings, there's a whole list of people you tip, and <laughs> it's a lot yeah. of money. So, uh, yeah, that's a separate discussion, really. I think you had a good point of when you do go out and use services, having that kind of of discussion on the front end and preparing for it, quite frankly, and having some cash. Right. Just have the mentality so you don't have to sweat over it every time. Know what you're going to do. You know, think about all your different stops. You know, are you going to have a cab? Are you going to do this and that? And then have a plan for how your tips are going to be built in and get the money ahead of time, quite frankly. Just be ready for it. And if you can be generous, do. Absolutely. Absolutely. But it's a great... Great topic. Okay, and that leads up to our final thing here, and that is the prescription of the week. Yeah, so the prescription is time in the market is more important than timing the market. So we're getting a lot of phone calls. Uh, gosh, it doesn't matter whether the market is high or the market is low. Right. It's always, should I do something different? And, you know, you have right. to look at your long-term strategy. And I heard a really good um, uh, discussion on this, and they basically said if you're diversified, it takes away the need to time the market because you've got a lot of different asset classes and you're typically going to have one that's going to be in the top and you're going to have one in the bottom. So you don't need to time it. And if you're tempted to time it, I would say think back to before the election this past year. (laughs) What a great example. So many people were nervous. You know, I had a client yesterday tell me, you know, I I was I called you up and I was going to pull out of the market. And you said, well, you can do that. We can put you in cash, but, you know, you might want to consider this. You know, it's usually the best quarter of the year and yada, yada. You know, I, talk, I, I obviously talked him out of it, and uh, it was a happy ending because it was the best quarter oh my we had had in decade almost. You know, it was an amazing quarter. And so just think about that, how unpredictable it was. Everybody was nervous. Everybody thought it was going to be a horrible quarter, and yet it turned out, you know, November, December turned out fantastic for the market. That would have been a huge mistake. Um, you just can't time these things. You know, the market comes at in spurts, and it when it comes, it comes fast and furious. And you want to be there. You got to be there to take advantage of yep. it. It's not worth timing it. It's just not worth it. It's gonna when it goes down, it comes back just like it did last year. Yep. And it turned out to be a decent year, <clears throat> all said and done, despite all the turmoil last year. So. Good topic, yeah. Stay away from market timing. Just stay in the market. Good uh, prescription of the week. And that brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Check us out on our website, moneymd.net. You can link to us there, send us your questions, or you can give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. 